Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have with us Edward Willett, an award-winning science fiction and fantasy author. He has joined us uh, to talk all about how he launched some of his most interesting projects. So Edward, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great and thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. No, we really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, Roland. Uh, thanks for joining us, Edward. Um, yeah, you know, like Roland said, you, you put together uh, a few anthologies and you um, launched them on Kickstarter or you you used Kickstarter to to sort of launch them. Um and since we, you know, we've talked about Kickstarter a little bit before, and, and actually back in May, we had um, Oriana on here who works for Kickstarter, and she, you know, gave us a lowdown from her perspective of, you know, why Kickstarter is good and, you know, what authors would use it for and this and that. But it would, it's something that, you know, we really want to dig into with somebody who's actually gone through the process. And you've done that like three or four times now, right? So um, you're basically our resident expert on the subject. So, yeah, uh, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the projects uh, you did and, and, and start us off with, you know, the idea of why you even went the Kickstarter route. Okay. Well, uh, as, uh, as stated, I'm an award-winning author of science fiction and fantasy uh, and a lot of nonfiction as well. 60 plus books in total now in my 30 years as a full-time freelancer, uh, about wow. 20, 20 some novels and 40 some very nonfiction projects. Uh, I started my career as a newspaper reporter and editor, uh, so the editing side of things came on pretty early. I was editor of a newspaper at the age of 24, so <laughs> that's what I did in my 20s. Uh, and yeah. then I was a communications officer at Saskatchewan Science Center for a while, but I've been a freelancer now for uh, for 30 years. Um, so I never really would have thought of the anthology, except in 2018, two things happened. I started my own podcast, uh, The World Shapers, where I interview other science fiction and fantasy authors about the creative process, award-winning podcast, I might add. Uh, and it's um, it's been great. I'm up to episode 137. I do them about every two weeks and uh, talking. I just love talking to other authors about how they do the same thing I do. So that started. Uh, it's called The World Shapers because I had a, a book series also called World Shapers that started at that time from my main publisher, Daw Books in New York. Uh, and then about the same time, a little bit before that, uh, I had a couple of projects I wanted to self-publish, I thought. One was a collection of my short fiction called Paths to the Stars. I, I don't write a lot of short fiction, so it had taken me all those years to have enough to put a book together. And the other was my grandfather and I's first World War memoirs, uh, which I wanted to publish. And I thought I was just going to self-publish them. But I talked to a local publisher and she said, no, you should start a publishing company. Uh, so I did, uh, Shadowpaw Press, and it has taken off like, gangbusters, not so much in sales, but certainly in the workload. Uh, it's keeping me very, very busy. Um, and that, As a result of that, I became a member of Sask Books, which is the association of Saskatchewan publishers here in Canada, Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, I went to their annual meeting in 2019, I guess it was. And they had somebody who came in uh, who was a publisher from Winnipeg who talked about kickstarting an anthology. And she'd raised like $100,000, but she had comic book connections. And I know comics are really, really big on, on Kickstarters. But I thought, hey, I know some authors. It took me a long time to get around to it. It was a learning curve. I did a lot of looking at Kickstarters. I did a lot of looking at anthologies and all this stuff. But finally, later that year, I asked um, my first-year guests of the podcast if they would like to contribute a story to a anthology, which I proposed to kickstart called Shapers of Worlds. And I had 18, uh, nine original stories, nine um, reprints. And from some of the biggest names in science fiction, I had John Scalzi and Tanya Huff and David Brin and Joe Haldeman and, and people at that level were in there. Um, wow. And so I, I launched it. I did it. And I did my first Kickstarter in March 2020, when you know there was nothing else to take anybody's attention, <laughs> but it worked, and I've done it now four times. Wow, sorry, I was on mute there. Um, that's awesome. I love that you were able to, you know, 
contact the guests of your of your podcast and get them to contribute stories and though and you know from the names you mentioned you know those are definitely some of the biggest names in uh, sci-fi i've read a lot of the a lot of those authors because that's sort of my uh, preferred genre for reading as well um so you were able to take that and put it on kickstarter and then um you know what was what was the the process like in terms of you know you're the I guess the editor, did you contribute your own story too? Well, one of the great things about being the editor and the publisher is that of course I could put my own story in there. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> each anthology has a story for me as well. I'm usually the last author to turn one in. Like right now I've got, uh, there's 18 stories in the upcoming one and I have 17 stories because the last author is still waiting to get a story from is me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'll get it in before the book is published. So, you know, I'm not really too worried about that. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the benefit there, right? You, you, uh, you know how to contact that author and, and get him uh, get him motivated more than anyone else. Um, so that's great. So then, you know, when you put all that together, um, what do you do? Uh, did you tell the authors ahead of time that this was how you were going to do it? You were going to kickstart and, and, and build up, you know, see what the, uh, what the, the market was like in terms of, I, I assume that's what you're doing it for, right? To sort of gauge the interest level, get people to sort of almost do like a pre-order before you even do anything and then put it all together. Was everything written before you created the Kickstarter or? No, not at all. Um, no, okay. The way that it worked, well, first of all, part of the research I did and part of the inspiration for this also, there's a, co- a company called Zombies Need Brains, LLC, which is run by Joshua Palmatier, who's a fellow DAW books author. So I had met him and had, you know, DAW dinners and things at Worldcon and places like that. And I had a long conversation with him about this. And uh, I had been involved as an author with one of, had I already? I think I had. Um so I kind of knew what it was like from the author's side. Uh, so that was part of it. And uh, I looked at what he did for reaching out to the authors and the kinds of things he did for rewards and stuff like that. So that was part of my research. But no, the the whole thing was you're invited to contribute this and to this anthology if it funds. So nobody wrote a story except for the reprints. I, t- I took some reprints as well. Nobody wrote a story uh, for the anthology until the anthology had funded. Um, so, and I paid... Uh, uh, and I'm still paying 10 cents a word Canadian uh, for original fiction and five cents a word for reprints, which is middle of the road, but you know, not bad. Uh, <laughs> I know because this is science fiction. I mean, those are, those are the same rates they were paying in the fifties and people were living off of them. And now we're still paying the same thing and short stories are very yeah. much. Uh, At least we're still getting paid. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. But anyway, uh, they were willing to do that. And uh, the, you know, there were other authors who were too busy or, or didn't feel they could contribute a short story or whatever. Some were just novelists and almost never write short stories, all that sort of thing. I reached out to everybody, but 18 were the ones who said yes. So that was all in place. And then the next step was deciding uh, reward levels and going through all of that. So mine are, uh, I may offer too many rewards. I'm not really sure. But uh, what I do is I ask every author if there's anything they would like to contribute. Uh, great things are ebooks. Ebooks are really easy to distribute. That's one nice thing. Uh, sometimes signed copies of books, um, sometimes uh, um, what's called Tuckerizations, where you use the name of a of a backer for a character in the story. There's, there'll be a couple of those in in this upcoming anthology. One in Tuckerizations. My... I've never heard the the. I've oh, seen it used a lot, but I've never actually realized there was a term for it. It goes back to a science fiction fan named Bob Tucker, uh, and. Uh, that was, or I guess he was a writer, and that's what he did was he would put his friends into his stories, and uh, no, this is a long time ago, forties or fifties. I don't know exactly when that happened, but within the field, that's the name that has stuck to it is Tuckerization. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, I've never heard of that either. I learned something today. There. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting backers reward that people take. Uh, there's been other things like online uh, cafe clashes, they're called. Uh, you know, like a Zoom call with your favorite author and. And that sort of thing. We've had artwork, uh, photographs, uh, all sorts of interesting things. Um, yeah, so I, I collected all of that, and then I just had to go through it and decide at what level that should be the um, reward. Uh, and there are a lot of levels. Uh, when I look at some other Kickstarters, many authors do it fairly simply with just you know you get a signed book, you get something else, a bookmark or whatever, and they keep it quite simple. And if I ever do one, which I might, just to to back one of my own 
stories, like do it just for a novel that I'm going to write, it'll be a lot simpler than it is doing it when you have 18 authors who are all throwing stuff into the pot. Absolutely. I bet. But I think that, you know, with some of the names that you had on that list, that probably helps sell the Kickstarter as well to people, right? Yeah, I think that's the only way I was able to achieve the goal. Uh, I don't remember what the first goal was. I've actually brought it back a bit because it's better to fund and be a little under your goal than if you think you can still make that up than to not fund at all. Uh, but I think the first one was at 15,000 Canadian. I don't think there's any way I would have made that if it weren't for the authors who were involved. I, if I do one for myself, it will be set a lot lower than $15,000. So how did you come up with that? Was that like when you approached the authors, did you tell them how much you were going to be paying and then sort of like worked it backwards from there? Like how much do I need to pay out all these people? How much do I need for, you know, a cover design, the editing, you know, or whatever it is that you decided was in the, uh, was, was everything you needed to get yourself to publish. Um, and then said, okay, that's about 15,000. So let's make that the, the goal. Or did you say here it's 15,000 that covers, you know, my fixed costs and then, we'll just divide things by there by then and figure out what to pay you guys after. Like how, how is that determined? No, I set the um, payment level immediately because I wasn't going to offer these level of professional authors uh, a pittance. Um, and, um, and then I worked back from that. Now, of course um, the number of stories influences that I, uh, that first one I set, I don't, I think I set the limit at 6,000 words. Uh, and if you went over 6,000 words, you got $600, which is the top payment. I've actually put that back to 5,000 words is what I asked for. And if you, and it's capped at $500, uh, it still adds up quickly. So the vast bulk of the money goes to pay the authors. Um, the cover design I do myself and I use uh, uh, stock art for that. So the, the art is not terribly expensive, and I do have enough design skills to do my own book covers. I do a lot of them through my publishing company. I do the design myself. So I had that covered. The editing I did myself. There's no cost. So in a way, what's really missing out of the, the cost is that I'm not paying myself. <laughs> the only money I make is when eventually the book sells enough copies to be profitable. Um, but hopefully the Kickstarter covers most of that cost. So once the book does start selling, then that money flows to me. Some anthologies do a royalty uh, thing where the authors get so much on the sale, but the ones I've been involved with, I'm getting checks for like, you know, $2 and 50 cents, things like that. So <laughs> I, I thought yeah. the, the overhead the administrative effort to, to make that happen was not worth the effort. And the authors are perfectly happy to have the, the fee up front and then like they'd sold to a magazine or something. And of course it's only like a one year, um, the contract is very specific that you, I have the rights for one year and then they can resell it or whatever. Uh, I, being an author, I write a very author friendly contract <laughs> that I send out. So yeah, that's how I did yeah, it. And then the other thing you have to think about is uh, Kickstarter takes a cut. I think it's 10% roughly, maybe a little less. Uh, yeah, you'd think I'd know, but I just say, okay, that money's gone. Uh, you have to figure that into your budget. Uh, shipping uh, is another thing. You're going to be shipping out all these books. You're going to print the books, ship out the books. You have to think about that. I put the shipping costs into the Kickstarter. You can do that uh, so that if somebody, like for $35, you can you back it and you get the paperback, trade paperback. But right on top of that is immediately added a $20 shipping cost, which is about what it is. So from in Canada, anyway. Um, and uh, so you're actually pledging $55 and that all counts toward the the uh, total. Um, but you have to put that. It's very important to tell people that you're, you're going to get charged that shipping cost so that it doesn't hit them. And they think, what? I thought I was only giving $35. Yeah, it's a lot harder. You know, I'm in Canada as well. It's a lot harder to, you know, deal with shipping when you're in Canada and Typically, most of the people that are ordering these things are in the U.S., right? It's, if you were in the U.S. and you're shipping just the U.S., you can do much cheaper chip shipping. But when you have to do international stuff and you can't, you don't know ahead of time who's going to be international, who's going to be local, you know, how much it's going to cost. You kind of have to set a higher number because uh, I'm sure some people are thinking, you know, in the U.S., they're like 20 bucks to ship a book, you know. <laughs> That's, it's it's bizarre. I, sh yeah. I sh my sign copies of my books to like california and it cost me three dollars and 70 cents i send it to saskatchewan or something and it's 25 dollars and it's right bonkers yeah. 
And yeah. shipping out of Canada, it's always twenty, yeah. twenty-five, thirty dollars. I mean, yeah. There's no and there's no low cost shipping in the country. So sometimes what I'll do uh, when I sell books, not when I do these, I have a company that prints them all. I never see them. Uh, a printer here in Canada prints them and also does the shipping. So I just send them the mailing list and they send it out. And I get a report and I can see what the shipping costs were. It can actually be cheaper to ship something to the states than it is to ship it elsewhere in Canada. I've noticed that a few times as well. Wow. Uh, yeah. In the Kickstarter itself, I there are different tiers. It's like twenty dollars for Canada and the U.S. I think, and then if it's overseas, it might be thirty or whatever. Because I do get people from you know Australia or places like that who also uh, back it, and then they have to pay higher shipping. Um, yeah, but if I if I'm shipping stuff like from Ingram directly, because it's all print on demand except for what I the, what I print for the backers, um, you know, and you can ship a book from Ingram to somebody in the U.S. for like four bucks or something like that. If it's so, why true. why couldn't you use uh, Ingram to do that instead of sending it yourself? I could, but it's just complicates everything so much. And also shipping from Ingram to Canada is actually higher. So it would. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess you could, you could do some from, you know, the ones in Canada, you could ship yourselves. The ones in the U S you use Ingram or something, you know, like, but yeah. yeah, listen, if people are willing to pay for the shipping, that's great. It's just these days, I know it's tough with Amazon prime, you know, so many people yeah. are just used to free shipping and getting it the next day and all that. But I think Kickstarter is sort of that thing where we, most people who use it know that, you know, not only will you, pay for shipping or, or whatever, but you know, you're going to be waiting because <laughs> in a lot of cases like this one, they're funding a project that isn't even started yet. Yeah. You fund it. They're funding it in March. And I say in the rewards for anything that's printed, you won't expect. Did I just freeze? Uh, nope. Yeah. I can still hear you. We still hear you though, <laughs> Image yeah. froze on my end. Um, <laughs> you, um, it says that, you know, expected rewards to arrive in October or something like that. So uh, the stuff like the ebook rewards, they'll, they'll go out as soon as I get time to send them out. Um, and there's other things like sometimes authors are sending books to somebody. They just get the uh, you have to do a survey where you collect the mailing information from everybody. And some authors will ship their own books to those people who, who chose to take some of their signed copies. I have to do all that stuff yet for this one because I was um, got that done and then everything else piled up and then I was away for two weeks. So I'm still wor working through that whole process uh, right now. Okay, so you end up with a, a product at the end of the Kickstarter that you can then, um, you know, so you distribute it to everybody who ordered through Kickstarter. And I assume that there are tiers of, you know, ebook, ebook only, those ones, you, you know, you send digitally, there's no cost there. Then of course the, the, uh, the regular copies. Um, and then at the end of the day, you've delivered all your Kickstarter. Kickstarter sends you the money. Uh, do they send it like right when it's funded or is there a period of where they hold it for delivery or um, milestones or it's about two weeks maybe after it funds uh one of the things they're doing is trying to collect the money off of all of the credit cards that they were given and occasionally there will be failures on that and they will try a few times and uh, then then they settle it and so occasionally you'll get some backer that uh, for whatever reason their payment doesn't go through and they won't so then that's how the Kickstarter ends up with what the real number is at the end. And then they take their cut and they send you the rest. But it comes pretty quick. Uh, I think it was, I think I got it about two to three weeks after the Kickstarter closed. Well, at least they're not, you know, holding that against you. Because, I mean, their their model is all or nothing. So if you don't make that 15000 you get nothing. But, you know, if you make the 15000 but, like, 200 bucks of it isn't collectible that doesn't actually put you under and then they say oh no we're canceling it right so it's like as yeah. long as people have committed they can't collect That's the thing that happens while you are doing it that can be very frustrating and it happened to me this time is a backer can change their pledge at any time and i had gone over and funded and i sent out hey we're funded we're funded and then somebody who'd made a fairly large pledge um canceled their pledge and i suddenly dropped under being funded again oh. i sent out all my stuff going yay we're funded uh, well, there was still lots of time and it did fund it went back over it again but it was still a kind of very frustrating um 
In fact, I think wow. my wife kicked in a little extra at that point just to keep me over the. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Actually, well, that's quite a nerve-wracking thing because then you have the yeah the the legs taken right out from under you. Yeah, it, it's very frustrating when people do that, and it, it's often large. I, in my experience, it's often you're really excited because you got like a three hundred and fifty dollar pledge or something, and then you look again and they've knocked it down to thirty five. Maybe they put in a, a zero when they didn't mean to. I don't know. Um, but that you have to be prepared for that. It is a bit of a roller coaster ride. And the other thing that, you, and I learned this, I talking to my friend Josh Palmetier again, uh, he told me up front that what happens is you get this huge rush at the beginning of the Kickstarter. And ideally, you get in you know, many projects aimed to be funded in that first rush. Uh, and if uh, it's never happened to me, but it does happen. Uh, so it'll look, oh, look, we're halfway there in three days. And then it plateaus and you go for days and days just inching up. And then at the end, there's usually a, a kick up. So ideally, you fund somewhere in the inching up part before you hit the kick up, and then you feel really good at the end. Uh, but if you're moving along and it's plateauing, it's that plateau part in the middle that's really nerve-wracking. And I'm out there, social media, and people are so sick of me mentioning the Kickstarter for the month that it's on, all my Facebook friends, <laughs> all my Twitter followers. They, you know, please don't tell me anything else about your Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> but I do yeah. a lot of social media stuff around it. And of course I try to, because I have all the authors involved, what I do is a featured author each day and hopefully they then share it with their fans. And that reaches a whole bunch more people than I can reach because I don't have a huge reach. And some of these authors uh, do. So that's yeah, another that's thing cool. that having all the multiple authors helps with the, the Kickstarter. Yeah. And so with the, um, with the way that, they fund it. It's interesting that you're saying about your wife there. Like uh, that sort of makes me wonder, you know, well, how many people really do that? Because it's like, there's no, the only downside there is losing the Kickstarter's take on it. Like if you're a thousand bucks short um, of a pledge and, and you know, you can still do it. You, you want to get all the money. You could throw a thousand bucks of your own money in there and, and know that you'll get 900 of it back or whatever. Right. So, well, you can't, you can't pledge yourself. But uh, well, there's nothing against somebody, getting yeah. friends and family to help you out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you give your friend a thousand bucks. Here, put that on. <laughs> but I'm black. Um, so, yeah, the uh, the project funds, you get the money. You, you tell all your, uh, in your case, you tell all your um, your authors, okay, go ahead, write the book uh, or write the, write the stories. They submit those. You get them done. So at that point, you send it all out. Everything's done with Kickstarter. Um, and then you put it on Amazon and then anything you make from that point is yours. Is that right? Yeah, that's the way mine's set up. Yeah. Right. And then you're in charge then of, you know, advertising it and doing whatever you want to do. Uh, you know, the authors are are just done with it at that point. Well, they are, except, of course, they want people to read their stories. So they usually are pretty good about uh, promoting it when it comes out and and all that sort of thing. Uh, and of Correct. course, uh, sometimes there's nominations for awards. Uh, we've had some short stories that were nominated for Aurora Awards that were in the book uh, last one or the one before. I don't remember. But anyway, so there's, there's, it's, it bubbles along. And what I found is that it's very much the long tail. Like the first one, Shapers of Worlds, that came out in uh, 2019, uh, continues to sell you know, a few copies every month. At this point, it's, I, last time I looked, it was well over 3,000 copies or something had sold, which is interesting because in Canada, 5,000 copies is a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> <never> register <laughs> at anything, but. Uh, so that uh, was 3,000 copies on top of Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think okay. the last time I looked, it was something in that name and that's counting ebook and print. I do find that the ebook sell way more than the print does uh, on the, uh, Amazon and my various other outlets. It's an interesting model, right? Because you're you're essentially funding the entire project, or at least you know most of it, I would assume, through the Kickstarter model. So everything after that is just gravy, right? It's just almost complete profit, I assume. Well, it's profit, except I wasn't paid for any of the work I put into it. So in a way, it's I'm still paying. Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, you could have yeah, you could have yeah. added that as as I guess some of the some of the fifteen k. I, I guess you know some people I'm sure do they they figure out okay I need to earn a certain amount for it as well. But it sounds like in your case maybe you didn't do that. But but yeah, you you end up getting that, and um, you know it becomes a uh, it becomes a learning experience that you could then use for one of your own books in the future, right? Yes, and uh, 
I mean, it is also, it's uh, for my publishing company that I started, Shadowpaw Press publishes these books and uh, um, it's good for Shadowpaw Press. Uh, I have two lines. I have the premiere line, which is original material and the reprise line, which is new editions of notable previously published works. So these are part of my premiere imprint and and that's good. And the fact that I've been doing these books has helped Shadowpaw Press become a member of the Association of Canadian Publishers. And just recently I became a member of Literary Press Group Canada, which is a uh, a lot of a lot of big small publishers, if that makes sense. I mean you're of... you're shifting a lot of copies. So it's funny we always talk about traditional publishing and how influential and powerful it is. But when you're talking about, you know, three thousand copies of a book, that those are figures that a traditional publisher would be jealous of. Maybe yeah. <laughs> certainly it's not some small publishers, but uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it's good for the publishing side of things as well, and uh, and I just discovered I really like publishing material. I also like sending money to authors, which is weird. You wouldn't. Think I, would. <laughs> I think it's because I'm an author. I feel good when I'm able to send money to authors for a story that they absolutely yeah. And then there's just yeah. the thrill of you know if you told me when I was reading Forever War back in the 70s as a teenager yeah, that someday I would publish an anthology with a story in it from Joe Haldeman, whom I had met and had dinner with at various times. And, you know, he's a Facebook friend for crying out loud. I would have, well, first of all, I would have said, what in the world is Facebook? But uh, it would have been <laughs> quite a hard to believe. <laughs> so yeah, it's been really great amazing. on that side of things as well. You have some huge names. I remember reading that one many, many years ago. And, and David Brin, like a lot of his, his uh, you know, the Uplift uh, saga, that was his, right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of my favorites growing up. Um, reading that, that's those books. I, I yeah, I should uh, I should pick up a copy of those. I think uh, it's been a while since I've read some good short science fiction and fantasy. David and Joe both gave me uh, reprints um, that I've had original from you know people at that level as well. So uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. Yeah, for sure. Um, so. With in terms of the um, the levels of rewards and all that stuff that you said, you mentioned that you know a lot of them uh, were sort of donated. For instance, like if if you know uh, David Bren was going to do a, a Zoom call with somebody, that's something that he would say, you know, donate maybe one one Zoom call for you know five hundred dollars or something like that. So that that is just a pure donation on on their part, right? So it's not like, you know, oh, you donated that, we gave away your prize and that was worth this amount of money, so we're going to ship you some of that money, right? That just becomes a donation, a pure donation. Yeah, it's promotional on their part. Um, Right. Sometimes if they're shipping some books themselves, I will cover their shipping costs, but some of them are perfectly willing to cover it themselves. They just see it as as a promotion. Uh, for themselves as well, because they're sending books out to people who have maybe never read any of their books. And so maybe they'll pick up some new readers. There's a lot of this is intangible. The one thing I remember from my public relations course I had to take as part of my journalism degree, well, there were two things. One was never lie to the press, uh, <laughs> which, is most, which is mostly ignored. And the other one was uh, um, that 90% of PR is wasted, but nobody knows which 90% it is. And that I think that a, that's a version of Sturgeon's law, you know, <laughs> percent of everything is is crap but nobody knows which 90 percent it is um it's uh you just throw a bunch of stuff out there and promotion wise and you hope that something will stick <laughs> i mean that's that's one of the tricky things though isn't it and i think even traditional publishers haven't figured that one out yeah absolutely um, so in the, so you've done, uh, you've just finished the fourth one. Is that right? You're just waiting yep. for, and that one, fun, the, all four funded, I guess. Yeah. Really all four have funded and I will be looking at number five next year. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm coming up on the end of the fifth year of the podcast. Um, the question is whether I do a sixth year, five years seems actually like a pretty nice number at which to maybe take, I would like to perhaps do a different kind of podcast, which is more focused on new releases, shorter these are hour-long, in-depth conversations, um, but I don't know. It's hard to quit something you've been doing for so long, and people are still contact. You know, I get. I'm at the point now where publicists from major publishers contact me and say, "Would you like to have this author on?" and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, that if you're enjoying it, why stop, right? I mean, you know, unless it's costing you money or something. <laughs> Just time. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you're you're creating a legacy, and you're leaving something that's significant, which I think is can't really be understated i mean if you have a writing hobby so to speak which pays for itself and yet you have your 
your stories in anthologies that reach 3000 people. I mean, that's significant. And so, yeah, it's, it's very impressive. It's, it is part of, I actually did a talk on this. I was guest of honor at when words collide, which is a, a convention in Calgary. And, uh, part of what I talked about, you know, as, and I was on there with these other guests of honors, many of whom were New York times bestsellers and that sort of thing. Well, I've never been at that level. And, you know, any day now it could be an overnight success after 30 years, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but part of what, and I have thought about it quite a bit is that even though I'm not getting rich off of any of this, I'm creating things that weren't out there before these, these collections, these stories, you know, they're brand new creations that never existed before. Now they're out in the world and I made that happen. So that is, that is a large part of the reward of publishing in general is creating books uh, and, and also writing, but uh, creating books and stories and, and things that never existed and which will continue to exist, you know, till the heat death of the universe. If uh, the, uh, if the internet lasts that long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's yeah. it. it, it it's a. Le- I I find it so funny. My father was a huge science fiction fan, so I'll go and look through his piles and piles of paperbacks. And you know, maybe you've, there's a story that's been out of print for fifty years, but I read it and discover it, and it lives again. And it's kind of like that's your shot at immortality as a as an author, isn't it? It is. And I, you know, my wife is an engineer, and uh, she, you know, I'm, I could have been an engineer. I think I would have made a good engineer. Uh, but as she says, I'm creating things that will continue to exist and a lot of what she's doing is like project management and working on projects which are very important right now but they'll be superseded by something else down the road um whereas books and stories go on forever yeah yeah absolutely so if uh, in the in the kickstarter process then did you find it did you find it you know a fairly straightforward process um from the from the point of view of, of somebody who's actually using Kickstarter and, and building it up, like you have to go through, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of authors look at a page that has, uh, you know, it's, you know, depending on, on which Kickstarter you're looking at, there's sometimes pay, you know, long lengths of different texts and, and explanations about the book and then all the different prizes and, and, or, or funding levels and the, and the gifts you get with that. And, you know, it does seem when you look at it, like, there's a lot of work that goes into building out that Kickstarter page. Um, and for something that, you know, isn't even done yet, you don't even know if it's going to happen. If it doesn't get funded, that's wasted effort. Um, you know, how, how much work is it? Like how much time does it take you to set up all that stuff? A lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you, you know, hours and hours and hours, if you, if you figure in the communication with the authors and collecting the stuff and, trying to figure it all out and then the process of entering it. I mean, once you get used to it, you can do the page. At least I can. It, it comes out fairly quickly. Um, but there's a lot of writing. You have to have a, you know, they, they, they claim that a, a video helps. So I've always done a video at the top. Um, and uh, then I have a description of what this is, what the project is. I put in bios of all the authors who are contributing. Um Sometimes the authors have contributed videos that has to go in there too. So it is, it is tons and tons and tons of work. And when the Kickstarter runs, it's not over because you spend every day, you'll spend maybe half the day sometimes working on Kickstarter related stuff, depending on how much social media outreach you're doing and, and how much communication I do. I also do a daily update for the backers. I, a lot of people don't do one every day, but I got into the habit. And so I do. And I even send a thank you note to every backer individually. When I, when they come in, I'll, I'll send them a message that says, you know, thank you so much for backing. We're at this level. Please tell your friends, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I bet that makes a difference. I hope so. Cause it's a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> How many backers did you have? Uh, the first one was about 350 and the, for some reason, the remaining, the other three have been under 300, but they're in that sort of 275 to 300 range. And they were all the same funding level or? No, no, they, they vary from the $5. I just want to help level. There's a few of those. No, I mean, uh, the kick, the, so all four, were they all looking for the same goal? Um, no, the first one was higher uh then maybe the second one and then i i I dropped it back to the lower level so that it would fund but i'm still getting about the same amount they've all come in at around that 15 16 17 thousand 
This year it was 15,000. This is Canadian dollars, 15,500. Um, I had a stretch goal of 17,000, at which point I wanted to do illustrations uh, to an Alberta artist who happens to be my niece, who illustrated my science fiction and fantasy poetry book. And I loved her illustrations. And um, I didn't quite get to 17,000 on the Kickstarter, but I've run a separate under crowdfunder, another um, uh, crowdfunding. Uh-huh. Site, there are Kickstarter uh, clones out there, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it, it's different because uh, it well, it's Canadian, uh, but <laughs> also it uh, it's when somebody pledges, you get the money immediately. Oh, uh, and you can keep. I mean, it ran to May thirty first officially, but you don't have to take it down, so it's still active. People can still throw in money. I've been looking at that as a possibility for funding books for Shadowpaw Press. You know, every book could have a little crowdfunder campaign and perhaps people would contribute to the costs. I don't know. I'm beginning to think that's not worth the effort, but uh, that was kind of what I was experimenting with, but that has brought in uh, almost a thousand dollars. So I've decided I can go ahead with the full uh, illustrations on this one, which will be a new thing. I don't know if I'll do that again, but um, it seems like that model. It seems like that model would be more of a, almost like a donation, right? Cause it's like, you know, you don't, necessarily have to meet a goal to start getting the money and and then if if you don't get very much and decide not to do the project you know who's how are they going to get the money back you know yeah and uh, well if you look at kickstarter it says that there's no guarantee that this project will actually take place you put in the money right. and fund and you may lose the money may go out but there's no guarantee that you're going to get anything right that, and i know. have i have back some projects like that <laughs> that never happened but you know i think there is probably, uh, I don't know what Kickstarter does, but there must be some sort of level of, you know, they're at least making sure that it's legit and not just somebody coming on and creating this thing saying, I'm, you know, gonna, I can build tabletop fusion. And, you know, <laughs> if you just donate a hundred dollars and then it doesn't, and it funds, and then they just walk away with the money and be like, yeah, no, it actually turned out. Legit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. And you have to have your, your uh, project is submitted for approval to Kickstarter and that takes a few days. So I'm sure they're doing some, some due diligence on some of these things. Yeah. On the crowdfunding fund, it is there. I mean, there are award rewards. So people who are, who have contributed there will still get a copy of the anthology, but it was different because the anthology was happening no matter what. Uh, and some illustrations are going to be in it. So it was designed to just boost that up. So hopefully I could do a full page illustration, not me, but there would be a full page illustration for every story. And I think I'm going to be able to go ahead with that. Uh, but that was different. It wasn't like I was saying, you know, if I get enough money, I'm going to do this. It was more like this is going to happen and you can help make it happen uh, or, or boost it up. Right. A little bit. And then, then that's what I mean. Like, it's almost like a donation to help. Yeah. It was, you know, if you I don't know, I don't know what the rules are in that one, but it seems like it, it's ripe for abuse. <laughs> if you can just be like, you know, send me the money and people start sending it and you don't really you know, you don't make enough to do the project and you just keep the money. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't look at their, I didn't look at their rules. So I'm not entirely <laughs> sure how they, yeah. how they project no, no, it's, um, okay. So with the Kickstarter though, I, you know, so you create all that stuff and it takes you, you know, a lot of time. Is there like a template? Could you then with the next one sort of like copy your first and then just go and change things? Or is it like just start from scratch every time? No, I definitely uh, copied myself. Uh, having done it the first time, I used that as a basis for the next one for sure. Yeah, uh, and they, they're all very similar when you look at what I put on the on the uh, site. Um, but they all I did all the work for the first one, and it seemed to work. So you know, if it ain't fixed, don't broke it. No, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> if it ain't did, fixed, don't broke it. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> did you ever hear from any um, backers about potential rewards that they would like to see? Um, I can't remember if I ever asked that question or not. I might have, um, but I don't I'm think I'm curious did. whether people come up with any interesting rewards. It's always, you know, when I look at some of the Kickstarter stuff, or, and even when we were talking to Oriana, like some of the stuff that people come up with uh, for their reward levels are are pretty interesting. It's pretty pretty creative, and uh, you know, I can see why often people will want to fund it just to get that sort of unique reward. Although, well, it's interesting. What I have found is that by far the bulk of the money comes from people who just want to get the, the trade paperback or the ebook. Uh, that's certainly that sort of bread and butter sort of thing. And some of the ones that I really think, like uh, 
the last Kickstarter, Jane Yolen contributed poetry. Uh, you know, one of the she's she's written an enormous number of books over her career, and she offered to do uh, personalized poems for for oh. people. And uh, wow. they didn't go. I mean, two of them went, but there should have been more. Those Kathy clashes where you could have a Zoom call with your author, I think uh, only a couple of them went. Walter John Williams, I think, had a couple of people sign up for it. Uh, but there were others that, uh, you know, no takers. Even the Tuckerizations, which I think are fun, uh, don't necessarily go. So sometimes the things that I think are really cool, <laughs> the backers, and they are set at fairly high levels, to be fair. Uh, but... Right. Uh, yeah, so it sometimes surprises me that what I think are really cool rewards don't get snapped up. I guess they're not finding the right people. The other thing you find with Kickstarter is that there are people who, you know, you'll look at this and they say they backed like 1,500 projects or something like this. I think I think it's wow. a whole subculture of Kickstarter backers wow. who find projects to back. And, uh, you know, they're called super backers, I think, sometimes. And it's very, it's almost rare to see somebody who's, this is their first time to back. There's often people who have backed multiple projects. So you can, like, you get uh, a view of all the backers and, and what they've, can you see what they backed or just the number? No, you just see a number. Uh, they don't have to give their real name. Uh, I do put a page in the book uh, of acknowledgments and, when I send out the survey, which I'll be doing very shortly, one of the things is, how would you like to appear in the acknowledgments? If you don't give me anything, it'll be whatever you you backed under. And so you'll see, you know, these weird little <laughs> internet handles will show up as one of the backers because <laughs> they didn't want to give their, their real name. I always have their real name for sending out print books, but I don't necessarily even have it if they're just getting ebooks because all I need is an email address. So, so you can yeah. have something like, uh, thank you very much to WaifuFan64 at Hotmail.com or something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't have the email, but it would be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, uh, so I didn't even realize you had that much sort of granularity of view of who your backers are. I'm not sure, you know, what the purpose of that is other than maybe to get an idea of how many of them are serious backers as opposed yeah. to like, if they're all new, then you're kind of like, uh Oh, <laughs> I don't know why they get, why they tell me that. But every time somebody yeah. backs, it'll say how many projects they backed. Huh? That's pretty interesting. Um, do you have anything else on this sort of like a, you know, from an author perspective or from a, from a Kickstarter creator perspective, like in, in terms of a dashboard, uh, other interesting metrics that they show you? Um, well, you do have, it's literally called the dashboard, I think. Uh, and it will show you, you know, activities. So, so-and-so pledge, such-and-such, so-and-so change their pledge, and you're now back under oh, your okay. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. So-and-so canceled their pledge. Um, backers can message you. Uh, and oh. you'll, I have occasionally gotten questions about, well, about the shipping, for example. You know, why is the shipping so high? And I said, yeah, <laughs> exactly. that sort of yeah. thing. Um, so, yeah, there's some back and forth there. There's uh, You can set it up with, Google Analytics, I think, to see who's been coming to your, uh, I, I've never done that, but I know it's an option. So you can get even more information about who's coming to look at the page. Um, yeah. The other thing, um, the other thing that you'll find is that other people who are running Kickstarter campaigns will sometimes reach out to you and they want to cross promote. So they say, I'm doing, here's mine. And if you send me some information. I'll post something about, I'll, I'll show yours if you show mine. <laughs> so, so, that's, that you, as well. so that's on social media or they're going to actually put something on? They, you, people page. can message you on Kickstarter. So that's what will usually happen under those circumstances. The other thing you'll run into is a lot of people come out of the background trying to convince you that if you let them uh, send out all this email stuff for you, that you'll get a huge bump and i've done that a couple of times and i have never noticed that it actually works it's usually pretty cheap and it actually can annoy people some of what they send out so mm -hmm. i like i i'm a little leery of it now i did one this time too and i wasn't happy with it at all so um yeah. i think if i just ignore that but there are people always trying to come out and capitalize on the fact that you're running a kickstarter and we can help you if you just pay us you'll make more money Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just running a business, you get uh, uh, countless of those a day. About, yes. you know, oh, you know, I can improve your SEO or I can make this happen or make that happen. It's like, nah, you know, I don't even respond <laughs> to any of those. Yeah, I get um, a lot but, to the publishing side of things too. Yeah, right? I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, 
Wow. So yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. Like, I think that this is, and we talked about this before, like, you know, it's a really interesting way for authors to, you know, take out some of the risk of the projects that they're about to do, especially when they're, you know, when they're trying something different, you know, often they'll want to, or they have some kind of a, of a, you know, a special edition that they want to try. You know, that was one of the ones we had talked about is like, uh, an author might have a book that has sold really well and they've always wanted to create this like, you know, beautiful leather bound hardcover, you know, gold leaf you know, version of it. But it's like, that'll cost a lot of money and they have no idea if anyone wants it. You know, you set up this Kickstarter and, you know, uh, you basically find out right there and you get it all paid for up front. So it's, you know, it's a really interesting way. And, and I think, you know, for regular novels, it's, it's not as easy unless you're, you know, Brandon Sanderson saying, Hey, I got four books I want to write, pay me to do it. Uh, you know, other than that, most authors are doing it for a, like, not just a story. So like in your case, you know, you're putting together these anthologies, you got to pay all the people. Um, but I think, you know, it's harder, especially if you're an unknown to be like, Hey, I'm this guy and I'm going to write a book. Who wants to pay me? You know, I get you unless you're really good at writing that, you know, just you know, those the Kickstarter blurb page and you can really sell people on a great idea. But I do I see know. those those kind of Kickstarter campaigns yeah. and some of them succeed. I think the key there is not to set your expectations too high. Right. I mean if you're trying to get five hundred bucks, you know, that's, that's you're likely to get that. Yeah. I'm probably going to try it next year. I like Shadow Pop Press. <laughs> it's me and the cat, and he's no help. <laughs> I'm publishing. Uh, I think I have 14 books that Shadow Pop Press is putting out this year, and I'm the editor, and I often do the design and all of this, blah blah blah. And of course, what's not happening is me writing very much. So uh, I'm thinking of stepping back from that and doing more writing next year. And I do have some projects that I might try the Kickstarter model on at a low level. Maybe I might try, say, $2,000 Canadian. I think I might have a shot at that. Um, there's series that I have that I would like to continue, but DAW, I have this the World Shaper series that I mentioned. I'd like to continue that series, but DAW didn't want the fourth book, so I would like to perhaps continue it and maybe try Kickstarter and that, that sort of thing. And the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't succeed. Uh, and, well, you're no worse off except for the time you put into it. And I think for a smaller Kickstarter project, the time involved is not nearly as big as it is for this massive thing with 18 people and all of their rewards that I'm working on uh, right. for a, a typical single novel project. I think your backers rewards would just be copies of the book, maybe copies of some of your other books, maybe, uh, you know, at the high end, I offer things like a mentorship actually, and, and oh, a uh, short story critique. And those are sometimes taken uh, as well. In fact, I have a, I think I offered an editing package this time and it was snapped up right off the bat and gave me a big boost right off the bat. Cause it was for, $1,500 or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, everything's not cheap and I, you probably can do signed copies, you know, that's, that's something that's like, doesn't really cost you anything, anything more than just sending a regular copy out. You just have to write your name on it. So, and maybe a little note and people probably want to get that, especially if you're a known author, but even if you're not, what if you become a known author, then it'd be exactly. even, worth even more. Right. <laughs> I have a signed first edition of life of Pi over here in the corner that uh, Jan Martel who lives in Saskatoon, just North of here. Oh. Um, he was speaking at the Saskatchewan book awards and uh, he, I, I had this, we'd read the book and we took the, the book over to him to get it signed. And he said, Oh, this, this is the first edition. It has a mistake in it. So he hand corrected a page or two <laughs> and then signed awesome. it. And then I took it and then I brought it home and I put it in a plastic bag and it hasn't come out since. That's awesome. Never know, right? Yeah. I wonder if that would like increase the value or not. You know, last like, time I looked, it was uh, at least the first edition signed was worth a few hundred dollars. So I don't know. Is that with, with the hand corrected? Uh, I don't know if anybody <laughs> else has that or not. That's, yeah. I'm just, I'm thinking to, Probably corrected every copy that came to him that night. So Maybe. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about when I when I watch shows, you know, Pawn Stars or uh, you know different shows where they where they look at books that that have come in and they're signed and they go through and they say, oh, you know, there's some damage to this, or there's some writing in this one, or there's ripped pages, and then somebody might be like, oh, somebody scribbled over some of the words in uh, these books. And you're trying to convince them that it's uh, no, no, that was the author. He did it. Oh yeah, yeah. right, mate. That's the author. <laughs> it might be hard to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. 
Well, unfortunately, it looks like we are coming up to the the end of the hour, so we're going to have to wrap things up. But what a fascinating discussion, Edward. And I think this has been really interesting. We've had a few things about Kickstarter now, and I think it's really opening people's eyes to the opportunities uh, and, and the disruption to the industry Kickstarter represents. So it has been a fascinating discussion. Before we wrap things up, where can people go to find out more about you, more about your books, more about upcoming projects and things like that? My main website is uh, edwardwillett.com, two T's on Willett, W-I-L-L-E-T-T. I'm on Twitter at E. Willett. I'm on Instagram at Edward Willett Author. I'm on Facebook at edward.willett because I missed the memo about having the same handle on all your social media. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm on uh, YouTube at Edward Willett. And if you come to YouTube, you can walk with me around Regina. I do live streamed walks around my my town quite often. Uh, Shadowpaw Press is at shadowpawpress.com. And uh, also, I did keep that one the same. So it's Shadowpaw Press on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Oh, and the podcast that this all came out of is at theworldshapers.com. Well, that is wonderful. We'll make sure to pop a link down below in the description. Before we wrap up, Craig, anything else you want to to say? Uh, no, I mean, thanks so much for coming on and, and talking to us about this. I know, um, you know, even though you didn't, write the books while you did have your own stories in them but you know it's still uh you, you were the one who set it all up and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you because you have all this experience with the process of setting it up and, and doing all this and then of course you're going to be doing your own books as well anyway so um i think that's that's it's a, it's just a fascinating thing that you know, for a long time, I, 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 and probably lots of other people saw Kickstarter and often when we see it, it's like some new gadget or some new invention or whatever. I, for a long time, wasn't even aware that people were doing books on it. And, um, you know, I think it, it is something that probably didn't start off, you know, right when it started as books, but it has become big enough that now they have, you know, when we talked to Oriana, she was like head of publishing at Kickstarter. So it's big enough that they have a whole, thing a whole you know, and and the biggest funded project ever was the sanderson thing at i don't even know 40 million dollars or whatever <laughs> ridiculous and i mean that's across all of kickstarter not just uh just the publishing section so you know it's obviously a very very big thing um and authors should be aware of it so you know thanks a lot for coming out and talking to us about it thanks for having me on Well, if you have enjoyed what Edward came to say, make sure you drop a comment down below and hit that like button. Let Edward know that uh, you appreciated taking the time to speak to us today. And while you're down there, if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. There's a little bell button which you can press to get notifications of every new episode of Fully Booked as soon as they're released. And we'll be back next week with another episode. So until then, thank you very much for supporting us and we'll see you soon.